Well, um, before we get into mom teaching on the tallit and tzitzits, um, I just want to remind everybody that we're crossing over into Shabbat. And if you have experienced failure throughout the week or malfunction or dysfunction or pain or whatever that may be that the father is allowing us to go through that because he's pressing us to a different place and as our creator he knows us better than anybody else and it's not a coincidence whatever I would submit to you whatever you may be going through pain wise pressure wise growth wise whatever that is whatever that discomfort is that Yahweh is pressing you to that point I've talked to some people who have said I'm just at the end of myself I'm exhausted I have no clue what to do I've never been here before the father is letting you get to that place because he's pressing things out of you right but we're crossing over into Shabbat right now so don't don't He's testing us to the point of malfunction and failure so he can address the failure, the weakness, the stress points, right? He wants to address that. But we don't need to take all that into Shabbat. Now we need to lay that aside and come to the table and hear what Yahweh has to refresh us and nourish us and equip us so that we're stronger going into the next week when he puts his hand and presses on us. Right, so just think of this as a turning point, and don't forget that we're entering into His rest to then enter into the next week. Okay. Uh, are you guys excited about tzitzit? So I want to go. Um, we're gonna start off the night uh, before we release. Do we we have after party right today? Um. We, I want to, um, I want to go, not go back. It feels like it's been a long time since we've been here. I know you guys were all here, but it feels like it's been a long time with Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, and then us being gone. Um, so I want to start off before we release after party teaching on the Talit. And specifically tonight, I want to touch on the Tzitzit since over Hanukkah, he, he released us to be able to make Tzitzit. So, um, if you guys remember the last time I taught on Talits, we were starting to touch in on authority. And, you know, right, I mean, it was all about our identity. And then he began to move us into starting to recognize that the Talit also is a place of authority and being able to express the status, essentially, of the one who's wearing something. So we, we started to talk about what it actually means to walk in that authority so it's not just we've gone over remembrance we've gone over um, authority and in authority is also then going to release identity and us being able to um, to recognize that there's so much that comes from coming under his identity that releases us into ours and so you guys remember all that uh, okay so um, I want to, if you guys remember, also with Talit, I have released on the roots of Tzitzit, the root words, which is flower, blossom, sparkle, uh, gaze. If you think about the root word, 
and then you attach it to identity and a garment, you can see where the cultural status comes. So something that's embroidered on something or a, a large, uh, he wants communion, um, a large, you know, a flower or a blossom or um, <laughs> you can see where these root words begin to establish what is put on a garment, if, if that makes sense. And so uh, the other root word that I wanted to release tonight is lock of hair. So part of the seat, the root word of seat is a lock of hair. So while we've learned that it's like his hand or being close to him, that there's also an aspect of being close um, to the head or being able to hold on to that lock of hair. So I wanted to release that. And then um, there's, oh, I'm trying to think if I want to go into this with the seat. If you guys remember, when I released on remember, that remember didn't mean that they forgot or that he forgot, but that we would be loyal to. When you research the root word of zakar, it, there's also an aspect of that word that is mankind. So there's an actual connection to him being loyal to mankind. The reason why I'm saying that is because this is for the purpose of remembrance. So there's a two-way thing going on here, coming under his identity to remember his commandments so that I can be loyal to mankind. So it's, it's understanding who we are, whose we are, and remembering that we're set apart, but also what's the purpose to be set apart? Just to please him? or to be a conduit of what he carries for his creation and what he wants to have communion with, which is mankind. So um, so I, I just wanted to release that uh, about, at, that what this is about is remembrance and that there's some things that are coming together as we begin to, not begin, but kind of finish up the teaching on, uh, on the Talit. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I guess what I, I guess what I want to say with that is that anything can get twisted. So when we're remembering the why, when I say that there's an aspect of the talit that establishes status, Yeshua does come against why are you carrying around a status? And yet he says that my garment means something. Yeah. So it's the, so it, again it's this dichotomy where you have to understand his ways to be able to reconcile two opposing concepts. There's something to be said that there's authority in this. And at the same time, he says, don't make your fringes so long that you're trying to gallivant who you are. But it's, it's about where it comes from is what matters. Because it's not wrong to remember or to grab a hold of our authority, but it's not for certain purposes. So just know that there's always an aspect that can be twisted. And so when we're learning these things, and I'm talking about prominence and status, it's to understand the cultural context of what was going on in the renewed covenant when we start to understand about the, the garment. But it's not necessarily for us to take to that extreme of like, well, then I'm going to I'm going to gallivant that in a religious way because Yeshua was coming against that, but not coming against it so much that he said, do away with that because he wore one and there was power in it. So again, it's 
you do all those things in my name and I don't know you. It's the same concept. You had religious leaders that were wearing these flamboyant garments, but there was no power in it. But it doesn't mean that, that that's a negative thing. It's just in the right context. And so, um, so anyways, I just wanted to release that about the, the teat seat. So are you guys okay if I get into some, I don't know if I'm going to say the word, gematria? Gematria. Gematria. I am a numbers person at heart. And so um, this part excites me. So as you guys know, as we created these, there were specifics that were being released at the time. And I said, I'm not going to teach on them. I just want us to activate it and engage it. And then I'm going to teach on it. And I did that for the, for the purpose of being able to um, see and feel something so that when the teaching comes, you really understand what it is that we're talking about. So is that okay? Yeah, I'm going to use the whiteboard. Um, so as you guys know, are you guys able to okay? As you guys know, the um, the Hebrew language is um, the Hebrew language is also very mathematical and very uh, thank you. And every letter has a number. So when you start to read scripture. In the Hebrew, essentially one scripture line can have a number associated with it when you add up the Hebrew letters that make up that scripture. So for example, Deuteronomy 6, 9, there's a verse in there, and in that ver part of that verse, you can actually write it out in Hebrew, and then you can take the Hebrew letters, and then you can add up all the letters, and that gives you a number. That number then also has meaning. So remember when I talked about how every scripture has like 70 layers? This would be one layer of diving into scripture to see if the numerical values give you any kind of context into um, more aspect to, to what he's saying. Does, it, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so... Um, so I wrote up here what we're going to end up going over, and so I, I wrote the numbers next to the letters that I'm going to talk about, and then we'll kind of hopefully put all this together. Let me, let me, let me do this. You guys know, you guys know yet Deuteronomy 6, 9, what that is? The Shema, the Shema, which means to hear and obey. And the Shema in Deuteronomy 6-9 is super important because it's where he says, um, uh, I, don't, I don't know if somebody wants to pull it up, but where it says that you will love your God with all your strength, all your heart, and all your soul. Well, what's super important is um, the Shema is very foundational to our faith, and we're going to begin to understand that as this unfolds. But I want to make sure that we do understand this, that Deuteronomy 6-9 is repeated uh, with Yeshua, and Yeshua actually preaches the Shema. And it's, it's super um, significant. There's a couple of different scriptures. I'm going to read the one that is in Mark 12. I'm in Mark 12, 29 through 31. Yeshua answered, the first is, they're asking him, you know, which, uh, which commandment is the most important. Uh, and he says, the first is the Shema, Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, that you shall love your neighbor. Now you shall love your neighbors in Leviticus. So when people are telling you 
Yeshua didn't follow his father's instructions. He preached out of the Torah. It was common knowledge what the Torah was. He was just telling them that, that, that those are the, everything hinges on those two laws. But he's stating two laws that are in the Torah. So they become very foundational to our faith when you begin to understand the Shema. But I don't know if we've understood that Yeshua was quoting Deuteronomy 6, 9. Does that, that make sense? Yeah. So I want to bring that up because not only is it Deuteronomy 6, 9 and, and a huge part of the Torah, Yeshua says it's, the, it's the, the most important commandment. So there's something for us if Yeshua says that's the most yeah. important commandment. That if we're trying to dive into Torah, then for me, the, my simplistic mindset is, well, then I can at least dive into that. Well, there's this interesting scripture in there that says, uh, basically, Yahweh Echad. Well, what is this crazy word? He is one. And what is it that he's saying? And so we're not going to get into that, but I do want us to understand it's very central to our faith because it's in Deuteronomy 6, 9, which is the Father's instructions, as well as Yeshua preaches it. So... I bring that up because that has a lot to do with this. Because remember what I just said, the entire law hinges on that one most important commandment. So if this is to remember the entire law, don't worry about remembering 613. If you can focus on that one, all of them are within that one. Because if you can love your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your, all your, all your strength, you're not going to murder someone. You're not going to have sex with your daughter. Yeah. Right? You're going to you're going to be obedient. You're going to follow his instructions if you can do if you can do that. So there's something to be said to this one commandment. And it has a lot to do with what's in here. So I get really excited about this stuff and I feel like I'm looking at a room that everybody's like, "Can we please just go to bed?" No. Are you guys tired? No, you're not tired. I'm tired. <laughs> Just making sure we're okay. I wonder why. Match my frequency, people. <laughs> okay. So we. So okay. Let me start off with the with the big one. The word TC. Go There's been a couple of auto corrections in my phone that happens when I type in this word, and I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> So TC is spelled uh, basically Tav, Yod, Zadit, Yod, Zadit. So if I take all of those letters and I add them all up, can somebody tell me what that adds up to? All those numbers. 600. Okay. 600. Then you have how many strings were in this once you folded it in half? How many strings were we working with? Eight strings. How many knots were there? Four. Five. 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 The first one, and then the right, the first one, one, two, three, four, five. So when you take six hundred and eight plus five, what do you get? So the six hundred and thirteen laws are within your teaching. By just the name. Now the reason why I'm saying that this is important. I just gave you some significant crazy root words to teach me, like blossom, gaze, sparkle, flower, lock of hair. It's already an important word, not to mention in numbers it says to make them, wear them, use them. I mean, there's some significance here. But then when you go and you take the, the numerical value of it, 
and you uh, begin to start to add things up, not to mention you can look up what 600 means, and so it just gives you another layer of what a teak seed is. Does that make sense? Yeah. What I did there? Mm -hmm. So you've got the teak seed that's made up of eight strings and five knots. Within this teak seed is all 613 knots. Already cool, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I feel like I could keep going with this, so I'm just going to just go for it and you guys tell me when to stop. <laughs> Eight signifies completeness. Um, I, I mean, well, I wrote down what I wanted to talk about. Eight means a lot. Whole, perfect, and complete. So eight is whole, perfect, and complete. What does that mean to have this inner part be whole, perfect, and complete? And then for it to be knotted in five different ways is to remind you of the Torah. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So you have the five books of the Torah um, within the five knots here. So you've got the Torah also within that. Okay. Now the coils get fun. <laughs> Okay. So we have the coils 7, 8, 11, and 13. We're going to be alright. There's a couple things we can go. 7, 8, 11, and 13. So, 7 and 8 equals what? The numerical value of 15 is comprised of yod hay. So in your first two sections, you have yod hay. Third section, 11, is the numerical value of vav hay. So you have yod hay, vav hay. His name is within those first three sections. And then 13 is what is that Hebrew word. I mean, I didn't write out at hot. But the Hebrew letters that make up the word Echad equals 13. So what you have here is Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh-Echad, which is in Deuteronomy 6-9, which is where it says it's where it says the Lord is one. So that Deuteronomy 6-9 scripture is in here. Okay. Okay. So then it gets even better. If he didn't get his point across. <laughs> if you add up all these numbers, what do you get? Thirty-nine. Huh? Thirty-nine. This should be obvious with what I just said, but the numerical value for Yohe Bate is twenty-six and Han is thirteen. So within that whole scripture is the Lord is one numerical value. So the number thirty-nine is what is represented by Deuteronomy six nine. The Lord is one. Does that make sense? So you have Yod-Heh, Vav-Heh is 26, and then you have a Echad is 13, that comes up to 39. So you have Yod-Heh, Vav-Heh, Echad. The Lord is one. And all of it numerically adds up. Now, we did this type of coiling. The reason why I said we'll get there, there is a Sephardic uh, way of coiling, and their way of coiling um, is 10, 5, 10, 6. Did you guys see what that is? They just do yod hey vav hey. The Sephardic, uh, uh, the Sephardic Talits, which, did you bring yours? 
he has uh, the Sephardic Talit, and if you look at his coils, it's yod Hey vav Hey 10 5 6 uh, 10 5 10, 10, 10. Um, I think that that is all that I'm going to Oh, I got wrecked um, with this part. This part is a little bit personal. But as I was studying this, as you guys know, my color was to step into that, like, sky blue. He kept telling me sky blue. So I stepped into sky blue, but he never gave me the meaning until I dove into this. And the blue, this act, they actually say that this blue strand is supposed to be a sky blue color. And that obviously, it, that struck me because I haven't seen sky blue. And it said that, um, that the sky blue is a constant reminder of Yahweh who watches over our every action. So you have a representation of who he is watching over your every action. And there's so much intentionality behind everything that we did when we made these. So. Okay. So that is the Tzitzit's teaching. So we, do we have Katie? Katie is going to be doing our Torah portion reading. So we're going to do that, then do communion, and then we'll move on with Torah portions. Then Adonai said to Abram, Get going from your land and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. My heart's desire is to make you into a great nation to bless you, to make your name great so that you may be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, but whoever curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram ju went just as Adonai had spoken to him. Also Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his nephew and all their possessions that they had acquired and the people that they acquired to in Haran, and they left to go to the land of Canaan. And they entered the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the place of Shemeh, as far as Mo Moses' tree. The Canaanites were in the land then. Then Adonai spoke to Abram and said, I will give this land to your seed. So there he built an altar to Adonai who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the mountain to the east of Bethel and ejected his tent. Bethel to the east and I to the oh, Bethel to the west and I to the east. Then he built an altar to Adonai and called on the name of Adonai. So Abram kept on journeying southward. Now there was a phantom in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to live as an outsider there. Because the phantom was severe in the land, just as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, Look, please, I know that you are an attractive woman. So when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. But they'll let you live. Please say that you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Then Abram came to Egypt. The Egyptians did see that the woman was very beautiful. Indeed, Pharaoh's officials saw that they and they raved about her to Pharaoh. Then the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. But Abram was treated well 
for her sake. He got sheep, cattle, male donkeys, male and female slaves, female donkeys, and camels. But Adonai struck Pharaoh and his household with great plagues because of Sarai, Adonai's wife, so, or Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What's this that you did to me? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now here's your wife. Take and go. Then Pharaoh instructed men concerning him, that, and they expelled him his wife, and everything that belonged to him. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and everything that belonged to him, and Lot with him, so to the Negev. Now Abram was rich in livestock, silver and gold. He proceeded by stages from Negev to Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to a place of the altar that he had made there at first. Then where Abram called on the name of Adonai. Now Lot, who was going with Abram, also had sheep, cattle, and tents, so that the land could not support them living together because their possessions were many, and they were not able to stay together. So there was a quarrel between the shepherds of Abram's livestock and the shepherds of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanites and the Perzes were living in the land then, so Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between me and you, or between my shepherds and yours. Since we are relatives, isn't the whole land before you? Please separate yourself from me. If you to the left, then I'll go to the right, and if you to the right, then I'll go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the whole area surrounding the Jordan was well watered in its entirety. Before Adonai destroyed Salmon and Gomorrah, like a Adonai's garden, like the land of Egypt, till you came to Zorah. So Lot chose for himself the whole area surrounding the Jordan. Lot journeyed to the east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelled in the land of the Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the valley. He moved his tent from place to place near Sabram, but their people of Sabram were evil very great sinners against Adonai. After Lot separated himself from him, Adonai said to Abram, Lift up your eyes now and look for, from the place where you are to the north, south, east, and west. For all the land that you are looking at, I will give to you and to your seed forever. I will make your seed like the dust of the earth so that one could count the dust of the earth and your seed could also be counted. Get up. Walk about the land through its length and width, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent from place to place and came and dwelt by Naaron's large tree, which in Hebron and there built an altar to Adonai. All right, so as we take communion and we're holding his body in our hands, as an act of faith, when you're ready, you're going to consume him and you're going to say that this Torah portion is now written on my heart, even before we get to fully receive the teaching and what it is that he's going to release. So when you're ready, go ahead and do that. And then remember, as you um, partake of his blood, you're going to say it is established.
Have you guys been carrying around your cheat seats at all throughout the week? Yeah? Isn't that amazing to have gone through that over Hanukkah and then understand all that? That's pretty amazing. So there's a lot in this Torah portion. And before Mom gets into the bulk of it, I wanted to kind of um, set the tone with the first few verses that when we talk about salvation, that Yahweh basically brings you into a lineage, right? It's not just salvation for salvation's sake, but he brings you into his family. And so before even understanding the first few verses of this Torah portion that talks about Abraham, I want us to remember that Abraham, one of his ancestors was Eber. And Eber's known for separating his family during the time that the Tower of Babel was happening. So one of the Torah portions that we just recently went through concerning the Tower of Babel, you have an ancestor of Abram going through the exact same thing that Abram's going through at the beginning of this Torah portion. So one dynamic you can see in this pattern is that when Yahweh calls you to obey him, sometimes he requires you to move from where you're presently at. And as you see in this first couple verses with Abram, it says that he obeys the call and he basically said, get going out from your land. He basically said, depart from where you are. And when he's saying obey the calling, he's you could say it like this, carry my name, depart from where you are so you can carry my name. And so Eber did the same thing when the Tower of Babel was being built and everybody was uniting around building the Tower of Babel. Yahweh called Eber to take his family and cross over to a different place, to a place beyond where he was presently at. And I think that's significant for us as we allow the Torah to read us, to be encouraged, right? It's, a, it's encouraging in a way, but it's also, I guess it's encouraging because it's Yahweh putting words to maybe what we're experiencing. That wherever you're at, you can't obey him where you're presently at. So he says, depart from that place so you can carry my name. And I think a lot of us can maybe relate to that or be encouraged because it's then it kind of defines where we're at for us to be able to understand why is he taking me to a place of exhaustion or pain or discomfort or pressure? It's because he doesn't want you to stay where you're at. Abram was dealing with a culture of paganism, right? You have Eber crossing over and not compromising. And he chose Eber to do that as a vessel to carry on his name. But then a few generations down the line, you have Abram dealing with a pagan culture, which alludes to the two blessings that mom's going to talk about um, during this Torah portion. And I think it's significant for us to understand that even though Yahweh promises things through certain people that generations down the line, you see the same people of that lineage having to obey Yahweh and leave where they're at. And so that's, that's one thing we can take away from tonight to understand our walk and where we're at in the process is that 
and I'll boldly say that we're, we're at a place where Yahweh is telling us where you are, speaking generally, I'm not speaking right this moment, but in this process, the Father is saying where you are and what you're familiar with, your relatives, your father's house, the land that you've been living in, everything familiar to you, you have to depart from it in order to obey me. And he's, he's, when he talks about things you're familiar with, it's at a level that I don't think we yeah. understand yeah. unless he brings us to the end of ourself yeah. or unless we're experiencing excruciating pain or misunderstanding or whatever it is. It's because he's bringing to the surface a level of familiarization or the things that Megan was talking about on the box. Was that today? about compartmentalizing and contradictions. We don't realize those things are in us until he takes us to the place to be able to realize that through the pressure to then say, in order for you to carry my name, you need to leave where you're at and cross over. So remember that, that dynamic. Generations down the line, you have chosen people, people that Yahweh chose to maintain his blessings for generations to come. But yet, a few generations down the line, you have descendants having to obey in the same manner of crossing over and departing from what they knew um, their entire life. So, I have so much. <laughs> um, uh, you guys know that my heart in all of this is to reintroduce us to his yeah, nature. Right. And this is a very significant chapter. Uh, there are four, um, I, yeah, I would, I would say four. Until Yeshua, well, first of all, let me, let me say this. Everything about the Torah points to our Redeemer. Everything about this points to what's to come, what came, and what's still yet to come. Torah points to the Messiah. The Messiah is Torah, and he points us back to Torah. Cyclical. So through the new filter of understanding that all of this is to point us to him, that's what I'm wanting us to be reintroduced to. It's his, it's, it's his character through him pointing to the Messiah in this chapter. So there are four times that are extremely significant in the Torah that are like pointed Messiah chapters. This is one of them. And I say that because uh, Genesis 3 was the first one. Remember when he, and it's when he basically vows or promises how we're going to get through this. And in Genesis 3, he tells uh, Hava, he says that she is going to uh, bring about my seed, his seed. So that's the first promise that we begin to see something's happening through the seed of woman. Something's going to come. It is completely wide open in Genesis 3. All of mankind, there's going to be a seed. That's all you kind of know in Genesis 3. Yeah. Then you, you fast forward, and now we have um, uh, Genesis 12, which is the second one. 
because you begin to see the, the, the scope of the story narrow to where he says, okay, now through the descendants of Abraham is going to come the Redeemer. So, so like you've got Genesis 3 where it's like a seed is going to come and then it begins to narrow down to Abraham is going to carry all the way through, which we haven't gotten there yet, but then you've got Genesis 49 where we begin to see him um, bring promises through Moshe for us to be able to understand what's the next step. And then after Moshe, it goes into Samuel where we begin to see that it's going to come through uh, the tribe of Judah. So you basically, you've got Eve, then you've got the lineage of Abraham that then takes us all the way to uh, the tribe of Judah down to the house of David. So if you can see Torah through the eyes or even the whole Tanakh, the prophets, through the eyes of understanding that, and, and we have to be reintroduced to this because what we've been told is that because of Yeshua, none of this matters. Right. Because mm-hmm. he's here, he, he, we, he did away with all this when this is his storyline of how he yeah. got here. Yeah. That's why it says if you nullify... Um, the uh, how do how do you talk about it? That the, the traditions um, of men will nullify the word of God. The traditions of men will nullify the word of God, but it's when we were talking about Matthew, where it says that he came, uh, didn't come to abolish, but do away with the Torah and the prophets, yeah. because we see his storyline all through the Torah and then all through the prophets that begin to narrow the scope all the way from mankind to huh. Abraham to the tribe of Judah to the house of David. And the reason why Abraham is brought into the scope is because he's a Hebrew, which essentially is going to be the father of all the tribes, but essentially will be the father of the Jews. So it's his lineage that the Messiah comes. So we're beginning to see his storyline unfold and his promise begin to zero in. It's not just, this this is not just a history story on the patriarchs of the kingdom. This is a storyline of where and how and when the Redeemer comes forth and at the same time is also a storyline of how the patriarchs began to handle that story. So I hope that I do that, but my heart is, is to edify or bring forth Yahweh's character in what he's doing here. Um, So the, the, so he kind of alluded to the two blessing thing. I'm going to start this all off. We, we, we ended our series of the Noah Torah. Now we're walking into, I'm going to say the words wrong, but lech lecha. That section of Torah, that means if we're wanting the Torah to read us, the next series of Torah is lech lecha, which means walk on your own behalf. So what we're going to begin to see here is we're going to begin to see the storyline unfold in this. And we've been talking about it really from the beginning. But you see Yahweh choose in his sovereignty, he chooses. We've talked about this. Did he choose Noah because Noah was righteous? Or did, or was Noah righteous because he was chosen? That's not up for debate. That's not what we're talking about. Because for me, I mean, that's Arminian and Calvinistic theology. I don't care. In the end, you're supposed to be righteous and holy. And you're supposed to be chosen. Chicken or the egg, I don't care. Either way, fruit of both should happen. 
because that's the biggest debate, not the biggest debate, but that's a theological debate. Well, uh, in his sovereignty, he made me do this. And then some people think it's all you and, and then you did, then you are telling him he's not sovereign and it's all about you. And then to me, it's equal. It's all him and it's all me. So, and, and so in that, it, it, so my point is, is did, did, out of all of these generations that we did see over the last couple chapters, he chooses to begin to narrow the focus on Abram. But it doesn't necessarily say why. He's just narrowing the focus on the genealogies. And, uh, and, and it's powerful because this is the first time since Hava, when I say Hava, that's Eve, since he promised her that the seed that is going to demolish Satan is going to come from you, he's beginning to express, Moshe is, is expressing the storyline of where that seed's going to come from. And this is the first time he begins to, remember when I said with Noah he established a covenant? We begin to see him make covenant. And then in a couple of chapters, we're going to begin to read in 15 the ceremony of actually cutting a covenant. So we're really starting to tap into covenant here, which then is interesting that the next few sections are walk on your own behalf. Because the goodness of who he is in this chapter is to express his sovereignty, that it is not, it is by his choosing. This covenant is one-sided. This covenant is one-sided. It is completely and utterly dependent on Yahweh's goodness and faithfulness to his promise, period. And we see that the moment he says, you will be blessed as dust of the earth. And then he goes and decides to whore out his wife. (laughs) Out of what? I mean, I know that sounds like, well, I would never do that. For his own bit, for self-preservation. How many of us have walked in self-preservation just today? I literally cried this morning thinking, I'm going back to the cave. I'm not coming out. That's self-preservation, right? I'm, I'm immediately, I mean, he just told me yesterday, you're blessed, and then the next day, I'm out self-preserving myself. Well, what's so powerful about this is he's basically saying, aside from the way that you walk, I'm still going to have my way. Because the seed of the Redeemer is still going to come from your line because of my promise. Because he moves on Pharaoh in a dream and says, can you imagine? Can can you imagine? He says, through you, Abraham, through Sarah is going to come my Redeemer. And then he pulls something like that to let her have sex with someone else. The entire storyline would be completely and utterly demolished in that moment. Think about that. This isn't just a story. This is a an unfolding of how good he is. He's going to send his redeemer. Meaning, if 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 the redeemer to come was based solely on the faithfulness of the patriarchs, then he would be nullified. Right. At the same time. As he chooses a bloodline, there is an aspect of the second half of the blessing that does require you have to choose back. Or also it will be null and void because we're going to get into it later. But there is an Ishmael. Just because you're a descendant of Abraham does not mean you get to be part of the kingdom. So we begin to see this unfolding one-sided covenant. When I say one-sided, it doesn't mean you don't have a role. I mean it's one-sided. It ain't up to you. 
It's one-sided that he's still good and is going to protect his promise at all costs. At the same time, it does require Abraham to walk in faith and to re- and to respond because he's the conduit to all of the nations. And you see it after Abraham. We're going to keep getting into it, but you've got Ishmael, you've got right, you've got all that, you've got Esau. You have all of these um, storylines that are not just storylines in the context of that one little story, but it's to show the two choices. Cain and Abel, Ishmael, right? Like Jacob, like you have all these storylines that are going to begin to come, and we need to see his goodness that he will choose the family or the bloodline that he chooses to bring that promise. But there's also a response to that bloodline because it's not just a free for all. Yeah. Does that make Does that yeah. make sense about the two blessings? So, okay. This is the first time that we see that Yahweh says that his heart is in you, I'm in verse 3, because this is where the, 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 I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Mm-hmm. In you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. This is why Paul references Abraham continually, because it is only through Abraham that everything we're standing for right now, in this moment as transitionaries, as a remnant, Abraham is our common denominator. Because it's the covenant with Abraham that proves it's for all people. Yeah. Because he's not a Jew. Yeah. He's the father of Jews, but he's also the father of the Levites. He's also the father of the Gentiles. Right. He's also the father of everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So the point is, is that this is the first time that we see that through you, all of the earth will be blessed. And Paul has to use... The, um, the Abraham covenant to be able to prove that you do not have to be um, uh, physically related to Abraham to be able to receive this blessing. Yeah. This is what this is going to untwist everything that we were bringing about the greatest lie ever told. It's going to bring greater dimension to that because when you understand what Paul was doing, <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so, there's so much. <laughs> when okay. Remember in uh, remember in the renewed covenant when he was talking about Paul and he was saying that you don't need to be circumcised. So then Gentiles say we don't have to obey the law. See, Paul said we don't have to do that. But remember when we untwisted that it was like, okay, can we just start somewhere? Because there were these fence lines that were basically getting people to, um, because okay, oh, there, there's so much in this chapter, and it's like. Three night seasons all in one. (laughs) The Jews did believe you had to be a Jew. You had to be a blood Jew to receive the blessing. So Paul was coming in to say, no, that is not the Abraham covenant. But that does not mean Gentiles get to take what Paul said and say that that means that we don't have to do anything of this. He was just saying, hold on a second. Jews, don't tell people they got to get circumcised because circumcision or um, um, they had the Jews had created a ritual that said, if you do this, you'll enter our blood. That is not scriptural to do something to change your heritage to then be allowed to come in. So Paul was speaking against that. 
that make, does that make sense? So Paul was speaking to them. You can't make you can't make people become a Jew. That's not the point. So he's basically trying to point out Abraham wasn't circumcised. He's saying in the beginning. Now, now, don't, don't. I'm not trying. I'm, <laughs> I, we're not going there yet. So I'm not saying anything about a doctrine on circumcision. What I am saying is, is if you believe that you have to be circumcised to become a Jew, that's the problem. Okay, that's all I'm getting at. My point is, is that he points back to Abraham because Abraham wasn't a Jew. So how can you make these people become a Jew based on your rituals when the father of who you were did not do those rituals to become what you are? He was the father of it. So that's why we're standing on the remnant to go back to the original intent. Forget Jew, Gentile, Levite, Benjamite, doesn't matter. Abraham is a Hebrew. Right? So that's this is that's why this chapter is so powerful. Because it's, 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 he's, he's basically saying in you. I am telling you that my heart is that all of the earth will be blessed. Now you see the division when Yeshua came. Well, only the Jews can be blessed. And now you've got Christians saying the same thing. Well, only Christians can be blessed. In Abraham, my heart is all in you will be blessed. Okay? So that is, this is super powerful because this is the beginning of his covenant. Okay? Um. I'm like all over the place. I don't know. Um, okay. I don't. I. I don't. I. I don't Not the other thing is if there's only one other thing. There's like 80 things. So the the other aspect is to understand that Yahweh will choose one. He chooses one man. And it is a picture of he will choose one son. That's why Paul says through one man sin entered the earth. Through one man all of redemption comes. There is something to be said about understanding that he will choose a conduit. But then through that conduit, your heritage and your descendants dependent on your faithfulness to be able to adhere to that promise. And so um, oh, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to do is bring out some characteristics to covenant. Okay, so his covenant is with one person. Um, obviously... The other, the other characteristic of covenant it is that it is not contingent upon the obedience or faithfulness of Abraham. And my point in saying that is that it's not that God rewards a lack of faith, but that he's trying, he's establishing in this one chapter, it's by his goodness and his goodness alone that it will, that it will advance. Does that make sense? Um, which is just such a powerful thing for us to hold on to because if if all of this is based on Abraham's obedience then I'll position myself that it's all it's all based on 
Like it's up to me versus it being up to him. And that's what I mean by one-sided, but not one-sided that you just don't have to do anything because it should empower you and cause you to choose back because we're going to get into what that part means. But my point is, is when you're walking through that process or when you're having to understand that choice to know that he's still going to have his way through his sovereignty. Okay. Because his, his promise is to bless everyone. Um, the other thing that is super powerful is that his blessing is not limited. He doesn't say to the 10th generation. It is to you and your offspring until. So there is a covenant that is limitless. There's a covenant with one man, and there's a covenant that is one-sided, that he is faithful. Um, and not only does it is it limitless, it does go to um, all of mankind. Um, does that make sense when I talk about Paul? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to understand why he's always talking about the faithfulness of Abraham, he's always pointing yeah. back to that because what he was doing was he was trying to he was trying to demolish everything that we're trying to demolish. Yeah. And talk about um, a talk, talk about that in the beginning. And this is super powerful for us when we are talking about, well, what are you and what does that mean? You know, when you're celebrating Hanukkah, is that a Jew thing? And recognizing that the things that we're doing is a Hebraic thing because he is our father. But that's something that Paul, like that's something that, that we know and that we, that we stand on. But this is why it's so important because, um, because of how he established his covenant before all of those things with Abraham. Um, I, um, the, the, what I, what I wanted to talk about with the two blessings is I want to, let me see if I can find where that scripture is. Okay. It's like lined out in my head. I probably need the whiteboard, but this, I'm trying to explain what's in my head. When he says in, in, in verse three, it says, I, I, he's basically saying, um, that you, you are blessed and then your descendants and all of the families are going to be blessed. It's like there's, there's two blessings. And so what, what that is showing is that the, there's a, essentially there's this corporate blessing and then there's the individual blessing. So what this means is, is to be attached to the covenant of Abraham gives you access as a chosen people to reap the benefits of a corporate blessing. But there's the other aspect of the second blessing that is very much individual that does then require the choice or to choose back in order to not um, to gain access to those blessings, I don't. My, it's like if you had. Let me see if I can try to like do this with circles. So you have a group of people over here. You have a group of people over here. And you have a group of people over here. And Yahweh says, by my divine sovereignty. This group right here is chosen. This group is chosen. 
this group will have my blessing. Everyone within that group inherently has access to that blessing. But within that group, individually, you have to choose to walk by faith to be able to receive the fullness of the temporal and, and eternal blessings that come through that group. Now, he's also pointing towards, towards the Redeemer because then what Yeshua did was he basically then, through him, opened up the, the access to the original blessing that said, through you, all of the earth will be blessed. So through Yeshua, he opens it now up to this is now the corporate blessing. But again, you have to individually respond. Right, right. You're chosen. Yeah. All of the earth is chosen, yeah. but not all of the earth is going to make it. But we've got to get out of the circles that came up to the time of Yeshua that said, no, only this group gets it. That is part of our history because he's showing his divine nature on who he chooses. But who he chooses is only a conduit to be able to bring about his blessing to all of the earth. But you have to choose to say yes to bring the blessing to all of the earth or you'll be cut off. Because then you're not a conduit for his initial uh, um, his, his initial heart it is to be someone who will be an advocate or to be someone who will stand in the gap for all of the nations. Right. So so when Yeshua comes, that's why he's the high priest. He's the one that is able to stand on our behalf for all of for all of the nations. He was the one that was that he's the one that was able to do that. But then Paul is able to teach and preach about who his father was and how it got to Yeshua to be able to show that that is what Yeshua was doing was opening it up to everyone. So but it with the filter of the division will read everything completely out of context. Yeah. And what Paul was doing that's why he'll talk about you, you, nobody wants to touch the wall of hostility because he was an advocate for being able to go back to what Yahweh's heart always was. And then man comes in and just messes it up and adds our filters and does all this stuff to, to, so that we don't understand we don't understand what's going on. So, does that make sense about the two, two blessings? So it's like in his sovereignty, he chooses you just like Noah. But then in response, Noah had to be faithful and be obedient or else he wouldn't have been a conduit to build the ark. Right. So when I say it's one-sided, I'm talking about I'm talking about one-sided on the goodness side. Yeah. Yeah. You're not good. Yeah. He is good. Yeah. That is one-sided. Yeah. Outside of that, it is not a one-sided covenant, or else it's not a covenant. It's yeah. a fill in the blank. If you're with yourself, fill in the blank. I mean that there's he would he doesn't want he his heart is he wants eternal blessings and communion with his sons and daughters. And so this is the beginning of being able to see his heart in that. Amen? Um uh, I want to set this as a foundation moving forward that we need to always go back that the, um, I don't know if I can say this word, that the Abrahamic, the Abrahamic covenant <laughs> encompasses uh, the whole story of God's redemption. 
because as we as we move through the chapters I want to just kind of like lay it out so we understand what it is that we're going back to so everything from the mosaic covenant to the davidic covenant to the renewed covenant so this is the thing we have said that the new covenant is its own thing when in reality it was it's a re-emphasis of the original covenant okay so uh each covenant brings a little bit more clarity to what he's doing each time we dive into these re-establishing or renewing or or bringing forth the covenant to, to the to, to the forefront of uh, to the forefront of our story or to the forefront of us, what he's doing is he's re-emphasizing um, his original intent. It's not new, like out of thin air, new. Well, that didn't work, so here's a new one. He's trying to re-emphasize what he had always done. Even if you think about just the concept of everything having to be new, means that Yahweh's sovereignty is just kind of a little bit infallible, like messed up. Like he didn't quite get it right. No, he didn't get it right. I mean, he got it right. We didn't get it right. right. Yeah. So then he has to re-teach us. Yeah. Right. And then we forget. And then he has to re-bring it. He doesn't go, well, you know, I think I didn't get the first covenant right. Like, I don't think I got my wedding vows right the first time. Yeah. So I think I'll rewrite them. That wouldn't yeah. be a good God. That wouldn't yeah. be that wouldn't be a good. It's us that doesn't know how to understand the right. wedding vows. So he goes, well, let us renew the wedding vows. As the husband and the bridegroom, he doesn't come in with a new set. He wants you to come in with a new set. Yeah. Right. He 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 has the ultimate set. So so I just want to kind of preface that as we go through this, um, because the Mosaic Covenant functions. If you guys want to write this down to identify those who share in the faith and those who do not. So when we get into the Mosaic Covenant, it's just re-emphasizing who and who doesn't. It's not something new. It's just a re-emphasizing in something. Um, it also gives us divine guidelines for living in communion with God and condemns those who reject him. Okay, so that's the purpose of the Mosaic Law, which is what we're going to be getting at in, in Torah. He's basically giving us divine guidelines on how to live in a community that, that functions out of this covenant. That's all that Mosaic uh, covenant is doing. When we go forward and you get into the, the Davidic covenant, um, basically that is the covenant that promises the ultimate reign of the Messiah. So again, it narrows down the story to bring forth the Messiah. It's like the consummation of the covenant. Again, not a new one, it's just He's beginning to unfold the end of the story in the sense of uh, the Redeemer coming. But it's the consummation of the Abraham covenant. Because we begin to see it unfold. How is he going to reach all of the nations? Well, this is how he's going to do it. And it came from the line of Abraham. Now, the renewed covenant is a prophetic promise that Israel as a nation will one day enter into the eternal aspects of the covenant. The renewed covenant is a prophetic promise that Israel as a nation will one day enter into the eternal aspects of this covenant. Aspects which have only been enjoyed by a remnant of Israel throughout the long history. Now remember, we've taught on this, who is Israel? When it says B'nai Israel, Okay, so 
what that's saying is that Yeshua is not the end of the covenant. He fulfilled and brought meaning to all this, but that he's actually a prophetic promise for what's to come, which is why replacement theology is super dangerous. Yeah. Out with Israel, in with the church. Yeah. Because then that means it's done. Yeah. And it's not. Yeah. Because his ultimate heart is that obviously all of the nations will be blessed. But his chosen people is Israel. And if they haven't seen the Messiah, then the promise, he is the promise that they will accept the eternal aspects of this covenant, which have yet to be seen other than a remnant of Israel. That's why our storyline is not done. Because we are to provoke to jealousy that there is our elder brother, the tribe of Judah, who the Messiah came from, that is not done away with, but needs to come in to her fullness. Well, how does that happen if we just say, well, we got the Messiah out with you, in with us, and now we're saved? And not understanding the whole storyline of the entire gospel and what's to come. So we'll understand a little bit more of this as we walk through this, and that's why tabernacles is such a big deal, because when we're when we're prophesying and calling in tabernacles, that is that that time, the, the trumpet and all of that, all of that we've been taught is get out of here. When the trumpet blasts, we're out. When the trumpet blasts, Judah's coming in. We're gonna we're gonna miss the whole thing. That's why I can be so bold about the Antichrist, because it's literally anti biblical what's been taught. So, so many night seasons all in one and this is the beginning is Abraham is the father and that's why Paul uses Abraham to get at some of these things and he is so he's so adamant to get at these things and yet we have taken his words twisted them to use them for our own theology and misunderstood because we don't even think that Paul's Torah observant so if we don't think that Paul's Torah observant then we don't understand that what he was he we think that we that he's speaking against those things yeah when that's not what he was doing. So anyways, I know I kind of, but I want us to understand kind of the, the, the foundation of the whole storyline. Okay. Yeah, I feel like I want to, Well, I mean, I did. I was talking about the big picture, so I'll just kind of talk about this a little bit. The, um, we It's not in our Torah portions, but the scripture in Ezekiel, that I just, I'm going to read it, and then, because I want us to understand how this chapter of him being able to release through a covenant that all of the nations will be blessed, and then I want us to understand when you start reading some of the prophets, what it is that the prophets were, were talking about. So I want to kind of just, I just want to talk, um, I'm going to read this, I'm going to talk a little bit about it, because, again, a lot of this chapter is centered around, one, that, that Yahweh shows his blessing, but then it also shows how Abram made a decision to basically forego how that blessing could come about by giving Sarah away. And Yahweh's goodness was to leave her untouched. 
So because there's an aspect in this whole storyline for us to understand even us, if, if this is how I, 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 let the, I let the scripture read me by me inserting myself in the storyline. So at what point in my life have I been Abram? At what point in my, in my life did I want and receive the blessing from Yahweh and then the first thing I did was self-preserve and yeah. throw out throw out my covenant partner right right like you know or or to read the story of when have I been Sarah right or um when have I been Pharaoh yeah you know when how, what, does, does that make sense like when do I when do I need to be so in tune to a dream to leave something untouched right yeah I mean, the power that Yahweh had to shake someone to be able to give him a dream to say, I mean, he, I mean, just, he, no, there's no storyline that says that it, that the story got exposed. He had a dream and he goes, how, what did you do to me that you're, that you gave me your wife? Yahweh was that detailed to be like, that ain't a sister. Yeah. (laughs) There's no like uncovering. Nobody goes and tells him it's a dream. He wakes up and goes, I ain't touching that. Uh Go. So, so when you're when you're when you're reading this, insert yourself in the story, and um, and and then, yeah, insert yourself in the in, in the story, and then um, yeah, I'm pretty much focusing on chapter 12, but I want to read in Ezekiel. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded by your ways, O house of Israel. In, in Ezekiel, there are promises that are attached to this chapter. And so I'm just going to read, I'm just going to read those promises because, um, well, they're, they're, I mean, they're significant to us because we're, we're that house, right? So, uh, one, this is what, this is what Yahweh promises in these scriptures. One, he is going to take Israel from the nations and bring her back to the land. Two, he's going to cleanse her from all of her idolatry and unfaithful ways. Three, now I'm reading these because we've understood that Yeshua came so you can go to heaven. Because you're so amazing. Not that he came to expose your idolatrous, unfaithful ways and to empower you that you can be restored. Remove her heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. What is happening every time we take bread and we say, let this Torah portion be written on my heart. It is him actively taking out our heart of stone and replacing it with flesh. Put his spirit within her. Cause her to walk in all of his statutes and ordinances. This is, this is the prophet. This is a prophet that said that this is what he's going to do. And then the first thing we hear is because of him, you don't need to walk in his statutes or his ordinances. But I'll take bless her with abundance in the land. I'll take Mm -hmm. that one. Don't don't clean me from idolatry. Don't tell me what to do. 
Don't, don't, don't give me, oh, definitely, definitely give me a heart. Right, like we'll pick and choose which ones we want, right? Bring her to true repentance. Yeah. Ezekiel uh, 36. <laughs> uh, I, I, it, it, remember when we were teaching on how it's just kind of crazy to think that Yeshua would come to say you don't have to because I did it. Like if Jalen was like, hey, I waited till marriage so that you don't have to. Right. <laughs> yeah. Such a good example. <laughs> right? I mean, so it's like, bring her to true <coughs> repentance. So in that, well, I don't have to. He did it. Yeah. A genuine covenant relationship will exist between himself and his people so that you will be my people and I will be your God. Those are the promises. This is, this is attached. This is, this is based on, promises are covenant. This is based on the beginning of him being able to, him telling Abraham that through you, all of the earth will be blessed. Now, again, just like when he told Hava, through you, a seed will come. There, there's a whole study on when you start studying seed. What does that mean? What, what, what does, what does seed mean? The very next child? Is it a, a corporate thing in, in one individual? What, what does seed mean? And seed actually interprets as descendants. And so, so you kind of get this, all of mankind is in Genesis 3. Somewhere all in mankind, there's going to be an answer. And then you begin to see it play out. And then all of a sudden now we're down to Abraham and his descendants. And then we'll begin to see it, how it goes. You know, the tribes are going to come about. We're going to get into all of that, which is super exciting. Abraham's the father, and because remember, all this is prior to any tribes yet. So this whole that's a Jew thing doesn't even make sense. Jews aren't even here yet. Mm-hmm. And a covenant was made. So then when then when you line that up and then you begin to see how it starts to go through now through the tribe of Judah and then the house of David, we begin to see that storyline um, uh pan out but when the when Ezekiel and the prophets are talking about what is going to come through redemption we can go back to he had this story in mind with Eve he had this story in mind here and so that's why we can attach those promises to all of these things in you the in through you the family will be blessed so it's not it is it is one-sided in the sense that it is up to Yahweh's faithfulness and not up to us, but we can also see through the prophets that what's going to come is that there is a response to yeah. that. We're actually going to see it in the next couple of chapters when we start talking about Ishmael. So, I think that might be, I think that might be it. There's so much in this, I like don't know like what rabbit yeah, trail to take. But I wanted to just kind of give an overview that we are we are beginning to see the beginning workings of a very specific covenant and see the storyline begin to play out and why this chapter is so important because when things get muddy when the tribes come in or when things get muddy when you're dissecting Paul, how are you guys all doing with the bomb that I dropped last week? Everyone doing okay? Who's not doing okay? (laughs) (laughs) It's a fair question.
Um, because should you choose to dive into Paul, you're going to have to go back to chapter 12. Right? Meaning you're going to you, remember the beginning. And, and, and that's, with, that's with all of it. I mean, when, when, you're, when you're diving into to some of the things that Paul releases, I mean, even just going back to the Tower of Babel and understanding through the filter of the big picture is really what we're getting at, which is why we're taking three years to go through this so that we can really let this be set in our hearts so we can see the full gospel through his filter, through his redemptive nature, yeah, yeah. who he is, his character, what his promise was in the beginning, and how he's basically exposing once I choose, I will be faithful to my part. And um, and that's a huge part. That's a huge part in all of this because it's it's what the renewed covenant is, stands on is in is in is in here. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, one gem that she I mean among many that she just dropped is to how, how does the family actively move forward and submit to the pressure and get through that pressure? And when she says, read the story and insert yourself, like let, let it read you and point out who you are in the story so Yahweh can address or bring pressure to separate what it is he needs to separate. Um, one thing I just wanted to add to the the two blessings is that I think there's danger in there being a corporate blessing and people experiencing that corporate blessing and not recognizing that they need to also do something. You can experience a corporate blessing and confuse that, well, this is because I'm walking a certain way when in reality you're the benefactor of an ancestor walking in obedience. right? And you're not making the distinction that, no, I need to... I need to be obedient to this and to realize that, um, and I'm just going to throw this out there because I know that Yahweh's hitting a wide range of things across the board with the family, but when he says he's going to bless you, it's his, he said, it's my heart's desire. So I want you guys to understand in all this, when we talk about that redemption, he has a desire for you. But even the pressure that you're experiencing is because of his desire. Yeah. Right? We're not after blessings just because we want to be blessed. I mean, he even says, I'm going to make your name great. But he doesn't just say, I'm going to make your name great and bless you. He says, it's my desire to make your name great and bless you so that you'll be a blessing. Right. If we just stop at, well, I just want to be blessed and how come I'm not blessed and how come they're blessed and why am I going through all this stuff? It's like you're just dismissing the redemptive character in the aspect of what he's pointing out to us. So just remember this next week to really let it read you, insert yourself into the story and see what the Holy Spirit highlights. Are you the one selling out the very mechanism of deliverance for the for the next generation like am i the one that i have i am in covenant with my own deliverance and i'm willing to sell it out because i'm scared and i'm trying to i'm trying to preserve myself and get all the wealth for myself like go go there i think too too much in a lot of what we've seen 
recently is the pressure comes and then the, the default, the natural tendency is to do that. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna sell out my my deliverance for my own self-preservation, right? That that's just a natural default human nature's fight or flight, right? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna allow that pressure to come. So. Well, and to add, when you're when you're dealing with pressure, I'm speaking to myself. Um, when uh, when 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 Abraham is talked about in the renewed covenant it references who he was even though it's not necessarily stated here who he was was a man who saw beyond Mm -hmm. so way beyond that i would say that when when the renewed covenant says that he um the the scripture says that abraham was a man who who saw whose city was, whose maker and builder was Yahweh. He saw beyond the promise of Yeshua. Think about generationally, when we're in the weeds and thinking about tomorrow, to be like our father of faith, to be able to see the city whose maker and builder is Yahweh. He was seeing his redeemer and his faith was in the Messiah. Here, his faith was in the one. Well, I mean, we're just in Genesis, guys. There's a lot of time. So to be thinking about when that pressure comes, selling out on our deliverance is being able to, this is being being um, loyal to the unseen. Well, what is the unseen? And could it be whose maker and builder you, right, like you're 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 seeing. I mean, that's part of why we practice even you know tabernacles and the feasts is being able to prophesy what's to come, is to not be thinking about right now, but to be seeing what's there and pulling it forward. You can't pull forward the future if you don't know what the future is. So you have to be able to be loyal to the unseen. You have to be able to see beyond. And Abraham definitely saw beyond because he saw the Redeemer in 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 this. To be able to see that far of, of a promise being fulfilled, I mean, I I mean, so to to some of you guys, you guys can understand how personal this is. I mean, he's being told you will have nations. His wife is barren. I mean, to be personal, there was a time in my life where I had Jalen. And I had word after word after word after word from everywhere. You will be a mother to many. It was the word over my life, and I wanted to punch things in the face because it didn't make any sense. I could not have a baby. I could not get pregnant. I was essentially barren, and when I did get pregnant, I lost the baby. Going through that, which was three years I don't know how long she was barren, but that was three years. And I questioned that word over my life. So to be, if I could go back to be like Abraham then, to be able to see this moment actually be fulfilled, that I would be a mother to many. And in my little mindset, I just wanted a Sean. I just needed Sean. Can you just give me Sean? 
and it didn't make any sense because it was you're a mother to many and he wouldn't come. That's how, that's how little we can think. I'm trying to make this personal so we can understand that when that promise of your life just doesn't make sense. In fact, the promise of your life is probably the very opposite thing that's happening. Go back to the Tower, tower of Babel. <laughs> it's probably the very opposite thing, and it just slaps you in the face. It doesn't make any sense. But if we could be a people like our Father that can see that what is beyond and be able to see that and call that forth, how strong would I have been yeah. in some of those trash can moments yeah. to be like, I am I am my mother to many because yeah. I because you see yeah. right but then at the same time even in that struggle even in my struggle when I did sell out and I was self-preserving he said I am still going to make you a mother to many yeah. you can't do this yeah. and yet there was still a choice I had to be obedient to the right. call right. I couldn't say well then I guess never mind yeah. Yeah. and drop it I had to be obedient. That's that two-way street. There's nothing I did. There is nothing I did. There's literally nothing I could do. You can't have a baby. You can't have a baby. There's nothing I could do. He did it all. But I had to be present. I could not give up. I had to be obedient. There is a way to not have a baby. I had to keep trying. Month after month. I mean, talk about intimacy issues. I mean, just I'm just saying. Like, think about think about our intimacy issues with him. Yeah. I have to try again. Right. Right. Then it comes down to then it can turn into work and it can turn into right like. It's so real. The yeah. promises over our lives because yeah. it could just like with him. It's like, but he, but he's saying, um, I mean, I was going to say, get back into bed. Like he's saying, be intimate again with me. Yeah. And you can't be like, nope. Yeah. Well, I must be your fault. Mm-hmm. And then I just cut it all off. Yeah. I had to be present. I had to. So does it, it was all him. There's nothing I could do except just be obedient. Yeah. Show up, be there. Does that make like it's a two-way street, but at the same time, not such a two-way street. His goodness is the only thing that is gonna that that is gonna prevail. It was only up to him. Even in my shortcomings, he said, "I will still." Yeah. But at the same time, in that chosen place and in that place of heritage, I have to respond, and I had to accept being chosen. And walk like a chosen one. Walk like I could see what was to come and remain faithful to that. So when you know it's talking about selling out our deliverance, like you 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 have got to grab a hold of that promise. And he's good when we are when we are um when we have a shortcoming, but but we also see in here after the shortcoming and the deliverance happens, what did Abram do? Chapter 13, he went up from Egypt. He continued in the command, get, go. So he, so he went and then there was a hiccup and right away he goes, he didn't just, well, I guess I messed up. Right. He, he, he continues. So.
Anyways, does that make sense? Yeah. Abraham, he kept going. He kept yeah. he kept moving. Yeah. We're gonna begin to see it. We're gonna begin to see it uh, uh, play out. But um, but he didn't. He didn't. The the Genesis doesn't stop at twelve. Well, Abraham sucks. <laughs> yeah. Right. It, he he keeps he keeps going. It's so interesting because um, I, so I get I get all like in the word, but it says um, she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife. Now here is your wife. Well, I how am I going to say this? Yahweh said go. Now Pharaoh is telling him take and go. So sometimes he'll use our mishaps or the things that we do, and he'll use the very thing. In this situation, could be the enemy or something that we sell out to, will actually tell you to do the very thing that Yahweh asked you to do. Because Yahweh is that good. He will use the thing that you sell out to to basically turn around and give you the directive. And so then Abraham goes, he, he goes. But he ultimately is being obedient to what Yahweh originally said. That make sense? So anyways, I just, I just, I didn't even read that the first time. Take and go. And I'm like, that's what Yahweh told him to do. <laughs> so then Pharaoh instructed men concerning him and they expelled him and his wife. And it's, he just was following along. Like the pressure is, we, you know, he expelled me and he told me to go. And he, and that's the very, that's what he's supposed to do. But we'll take it as like, why did the enemy do? No, Yahweh. Yeah. Use yeah. that to put the pressure to be able to move you to a place and we're accusing the enemy or accusing those, and, and, and yet it's just Yahweh just using whatever he can to push you yep. into a place. Yeah. Yep. So. Mm -hmm. I do want to make sure that you guys know I'm coming back to, to Torah portion 9. I don't know when or how, but I'm coming back to it. Because I am... I I you're on to it. I am sniffing something out and I, I, I and I don't know if I said this or not, but I, I woke up Sunday absolutely shaking. And you guys know that I have this thing that like I, I mean I say it all the time. My 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 answer is is if I was to be able to sit with anybody, even probably beyond Yeshua, if I could sit with anybody it would be Paul. Because I believe that he is the most misunderstood and he is the forerunner to everything that we are supposed to be following. And uh, I, I absolutely came alive when I began to study what Paul really was doing for women and how it was used to twist things. And I feel like I'm on, I, I feel like I'm on to something as great as the untwisting of women, I am on to the untwisting of tongues. And I am after it. And I am really excited. <laughs> and uh, so, you guys didn't catch the bomb that I dropped because there were some people afterwards like, what? I basically feel like I want to dive into what was Paul really saying about the gifts? Now that we are going back to the original intent, what 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 is this gifts thing? And what is the chaos? And what is the scattering? And what is the confusion? And what was it that Paul was saying? And I just feel like he is uncovering some things. So we will be going back to the Tower of Babel or to Torah portion 9 
as a family at some point because I, I believe he kind of unlocked something and just went, surprise! All of a sudden, it's like a Hanukkah gift. Thank you! <laughs> I just saw the next tour portion of Malek Zedok. <laughs> I think. I have to pick out one. Let me just see if it's the same ones. 14, 1 through 24. Yep. Malek Zedok's coming up. Everybody ready for this next week? Rest! Rest! Rest, rest because the tomorrow. king of righteousness, the prophetic one, is coming. <laughs> okay, I'm going to pick a name, and then I'll hand it to you, Megan. Mom! Ooh! I get to read! Of course. On You probably won't even make it through that reading. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you guys and I just saw that Eshkol is in the next one. Is it? The next Torah portion is Eshkol. Oh, really? Yeah, I just saw the word at the very last part. <laughs> what I love about leaving or moving out of our time together on a Friday night into the rest of the week is how clear, I mean, let me know if anyone feels differently, but how clear our directives are moving forward. I don't feel like we ever, I don't feel like Yahweh is like tiptoeing around or being soft or whispering anything at all and that is his redemption so the the loudness of our responsibility is his redemption meaning that even even when we're talking tonight about his his one-sided covenant that leads to our responsibility in covenant that Yahweh is so redemptive that even the beginning of the story is all about how I will remain faithful. I will remain faithful. In the face of this, in the face of that, I will remain faithful. And it is the foundation or that order that mom and dad were speaking to is the very thing that we have overlooked. So, so even in our idolatry, even in our adulterous behavior as the bride in what we are walking through, that, that the that us getting to a place where we could renew those vows and fully understand our responsibility is still starting with him declaring his faithfulness. There's, there's no, there's no shame. There's no, it's, it's just, and still, even in the evil inclination of the bride and of the way that she has walked, 
I am faithful. And we are, we are literally inserted into that very timeline. I love how loud our responsibility is because it's been so quiet. It's been so quiet and we can't, we won't be able to shift anything if it's not blaring in our, in our face and in our ears. And so those promises that were just released in Ezekiel about bringing Israel back, cleanse her of idolatry, remove a heart of stone and replace it, spirit within her, cause her to walk in his statutes, true repentance, are those not all responsibilities? That is loud. One of two... To remove a heart of stone and replace it with flesh could be the the very undertaking of our lives. Yeah. That's one. Yeah. That's one promise. So when the directive moving into just one week, like the next week of our lives, is can you insert yourself? Can you insert yourself? Because it's only when we give him permission to read us and we insert ourselves there that we can bear and I don't mean that in like we're going to bear the weight of responsibility but that we can truly be equipped to carry that responsibility and for our hearts to be hungry and devoted to it that's the only way and it's this super super small act of responsibility in itself to say, yes, I will, I am choosing, I am called, I am set apart, so I am choosing to step back in to fulfill my end of covenant. But I'm not being diligent in things like giving him permission to read me on a daily basis or on a weekly basis. If we, if we can't even carry that responsibility there's no way what Yahweh is walking us through and leading us into will be sustainable for us, for, for, for you as an individual. It, it, just, it just won't be. So I want to encourage us following those directives and following, there's, there's a reason why, why mom and dad have been entrusted to, to carry and raise us in in that response to covenant because what mom shared is so the first thing I do the first thing I do is insert myself in that so I can be read that's the only way that you can be further entrusted to carry even more responsibility is when you ask him will you read me and will you show me and reveal to me where I'm not carrying who you are or whatever is in me that would reject any level of that responsibility, which is everything Yahweh spoke to when we moved into this season in general, right? Was be aware of yourself because you will look for a way to avoid responsibility because it's all you've ever known is that you have none. Right? So it is in all of us, every single one of us, to want some relief from responsibility. 
Every single one. Don't tell me it's not in you. You are not aware. If that, if that, no, tr- no, truly, if if that, if that is, I'm, I'm, if that is your mindset, then you already are removing yourself from the 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 small, the minute responsibility that Yahweh is entrusting you with to receive the fullness of your responsibility. Right? If that's our mindset, if that's our position. So be be aware and be diligent in every directive and direction that we're given because it is it is the shoring up of what's to come. Okay? Okay. I feel like I could say more because whenever we talk about on behalf of it's such a check and a motivation in my heart when it's standing on behalf of a nation or to stand on behalf like that 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 even that small responsibility allowing myself to be read is the very thing that will empower me to stand on behalf of a nation that's the level of responsibility that you carry in your daily self-awareness and heart's position to grant him permission to read you. Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomheirsflag.org. Thank you.